0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 88 for January 16th, 2007. Ah! Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton, and I'm back. John is back too. Uh, for... <laughs> it took a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but we're back to winter here. It's cold. I got snow on Sunday. Not much, but enough rain before the snow so that my driveway is currently a sheet of ice. The FedEx. Sweet. The, the FedEx truck oh. came in today a little too fast. Hit the brakes at the end and slid about six feet before they uh, before they
1: finally stopped. Nice. So the kids <laughs> must be having a blast. Oh uh, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. So so I got back. To Connecticut kind of yeah so of course if you were flying back from Macworld Expo you probably ran into that little uh little storm kind of in middle America there yeah it was the it
0: was the one January in in the the all the years I can remember where it was better to fly through Chicago than Dallas so go figure
1: yeah so th- they redid my flight and I, I experienced one of the first horrors of flying which I've never had until this point you, you lost get to your end point not quite. No, it was oh. delayed. But yeah, you oh, get yeah. to your endpoint. You're sitting there. You're at the belt. Everybody's gone except you. <laughs> and nothing's happening, and you're like, "Oh no!" So I go to the dreaded baggage office. like, yeah. "Oh yeah, it's on the next United flight." I was on American. Hey, at least they knew where it and, was. And it, 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 give them credit. Yeah, they gave me a little little thing, and, and sure enough, it was an hour and a half later uh, on the belt from the next flight from a competing airline. So. It was a mess. I mean, you looked at the board and half the flights were canceled. It it was, I'm lucky I made it within a day (laughs) because a lot of people didn't. People I was talking to on shuttles and stuff like that. Anyways, but Macworld was a blast. I think you would concur. We saw a lot of cool stuff, but, uh, you know, Macworld ever. We got to wind down from that. We got, we got to get back to what we're all about here. Back to the groove. That's right.
0: This show will be back to your questions. Um, we've got all kinds of stuff, uh, and we've got a new geek challenge i think that uh, oh. that we'll throw in here and all, all kinds of stuff so we will start with one from an unknown caller um uh, when you call, call x yeah when you call just make sure you introduce yourself at first so that we know who you are so we don't have to go through uh, uh you know all a of
1: handle is cool you can, can be this. mr that's or ms it. or mrs x
0: that's okay but... all right well this is mr x
2: Hey, John, David, Bear Barrett from uh, Wanda South Carolina, Buffalo. Quick question for you um, about uh, hard drives. I got a new 400-gig uh, Western Digital SATA drive for my aging G4, and I'm going to put multiple partitions in it. One of them to be for the primary boot volume, uh, one of them for a scratch disk for our downloads, because I don't want to fragment the drive, and another partition for all of our media, podcasts, and music and such. Quick question, when I... When I uh, go ahead and set the partition, I was curious as to which one would be the partition that I want to use. You know, you set it up and you can slide the levels down for, uh, for partitioning and size, and I wondered which one is the fastest part of the drives. I know there's a hot band um, in the OS, and it uses that for boot up applications and such. Um, and I know you want to you respect that. So I'm d with Ida Fre, I know that respects the hot band, but if I choose the wrong one, it's kind of a moot point because I won't even be in the fastest part of the drive um, anyways, any helps appreciate it thanks again for the awesome show. I look forward to it every week um I can be reached at
0: you are oh so kind, and i, I still couldn't catch your name the the fifth time I heard that there, so you yeah. wanna you wanna take the lead with this one john or
1: should i should I run with it um I'll, I'll take the lead on one point and then I'll, I'll hand it off here. But but there was talk. Um, so first, I guess, uh, uh, I am in the school in general, which does not believe in partitioning. Um, I know there have been reasons to do that in the past, uh, as far as, you know, block size or, you know, minimum block size and stuff to get maximum storage capability. Yeah. But uh, I just, in general, try to shy away from it. But one reason, and we'll touch um, on the uh, callers, but one of his points is that the the drive or the OS is, is kind of doing the work for you. So that's why I, I lean away from manually, uh, you know, doing things like partitioning and optimizing and stuff like that. Now, one thing that was pointed out, um, the hot band now, th- this is something that I looked into and I think it's also referred to as adaptive hot file clustering where under, that's right. I guess it would be the underlying BSD OS, um, or it could be an OS 10 specific thing files under 10 megabytes who are not written to for a while. Um, which would indicate that it's probably an OS file um, or, or some other file that's not going to change. So, you know, you can probably shuffle it away somewhere and, uh, you know, ma- make access more efficient. But 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 it's put in this place called the hot band, which our, uh, you know, uh, caller referred to. The only thing I can imagine is that this is something you do not want it to defeat. You do not want to second guess the OS. Right. Uh, but as far as I, uh, from what he said, I, I would suspect that this hot band thing is not so much. And I think what he was trying to get at, not so much a physical location, but it sounds to me like a logical location. It may be both. I mean, it may, based on the type of drive, say, hey, I know, you know, w- where I should put this stuff to get faster access. Sure. It sounds to me like something the OS is doing to be smart and putting all this stuff in one place. It, it probably is in an area of the drive that is fast. But that's that's the other thing that I wanted to get to is that, you know, knowing the fastest Part of the drive I think is getting to a level that may not be necessary again i I, I think you want to hand it off to the uh, to the os so so those are my my comments on that and I'll hand it off to you because I think you have done probably a bit more you know lower level type of work here especially working on UNix where we're right. doing things like this you know picking a scratch drive and stuff like that may be more applicable so to you
0: all right well y- you know it with to jump to the unix part of this and then we'll get back to os 10 but uh, um with unix really if you're going to create a scratch partition and by scratch i mean swap and and that's different from what what our call is talking about here but if you're going to do that you actually want that on a separate spindle altogether uh remember anything that's on the same spindle has the drive heads jumping all over the place right so if you have uh uh you know three partitions on the drive and one is at the beginning of the drive one is at the middle and one is at the end if you're playing a podcast let's say and you've got it on your media partition that's at the end you're jumping all the way to the end and then back to the beginning to read some os files and then all the way to the end to read the podcast and back to the beginning to read some os files and there's some caching and all of that that the os can do and, and the drive itself can do to keep that efficient but uh you know in unix the idea is if you're going to have two things that are going to be accessed right next to each other have them on different spindles and then bam you're really fast and really what you'd optimally what you'd have is this one spindle for reading and one for writing and then that way you're you're really being efficient uh maybe mirroring data between the two uh, in some fashion but uh i yeah i i would i would i would agree with you john i wouldn't partition a drive because it is going to add that layer of inefficiency and I think that that will outweigh any of the moderate performance gains that might be realized by not having that um that scratch stuff and and, and now we're talking about the scratch stuff as, as in downloads and and temporary data uh, that the caller referred to as far as the hot band yeah from from what I from what I recall I believe that's that's more of a logical thing where it it's picking a part of the drive to be just what you said that that hot band of of commonly read but not oft written to files. My advice though if you are going to partition the drive, put the boot partition as the first thing on the drive. I know the OS can deal with it further out especially newer machines they can deal with it, you know, past the 8 gig mark. I know there was that that issue for a while, but I, I wouldn't mess with it, man. Put put the boot partition first. That is what the OS expects. After all, it's seeing you know if you only have one partition, well, the boot partition is there for the first. And from what I can recall, that hot band is somewhere near the beginning of the drive. So uh, I think I think that's what you're going to want to do. So that's uh, that that's my that's my feeling on that.
1: Cool. And the other feature that I ran into is kind of an auto defrag, which uh, some of the data I have suggests that for highly fragmented files that are eight or more fragments under 20 megs in size, yep. OS 10 is also kind of looking around for stuff like that. So, um, of course, there are utilities. Uh, again, I think my position is, you know, uh, trying to optimize a drive is, is uh, something that just <laughs> freaks me out.
0: Yeah, it, <laughs> it, it, it can be you know you're right the os will defragment files but it won't optimize the drive in that it won't reorder where those files appear to make it more efficient you you Mm -hmm. can see especially if you've been through you know let's say five or six os upgrades even point up or you know incremental upgrades uh you know where i mean you're downloading hundreds of megs each time apple makes you know an update to even to you know to tiger let's say we've seen what eight of them now and uh those can all start to scatter around the drive because you know they're replacing files that were at the beginning of the drive if, if you even started that way. So to, to optimize the drive can in theory make things faster, but you know we, we say this all the time, and, and I mean it, and if you're going to start messing with stuff like that, shoot a backup first. Mm-hmm. Don't trust that that thing is going to finish. If, if you're in the middle of moving a very critical file and your machine dies for whatever reason, it's over. That's it. Mm-hmm. You're done. So game over, man. Game game <laughs> over. All right, let's uh, <laughs> let's hear what Laurie had to say.
3: Hi lads, it's Laurie here for calling from Wellington, New Zealand. I've got a couple of questions for you. First one is I've got an 802.11g network with my Airport Expresses running through the house, but my web server, which is my dear old Q, has only got 802.11b. Now I understand with both those protocols running that slows down the 11G to run but B rates. Is that right? Can you explain what's going on? The other one is, I've got my phone here, which is um, a Sony Ericsson Z520. Now, every now and again I want to use it with my PowerBook uh, using the Bluetooth and Modem facilities to talk to my network, which is a Vodafone. And going through the Bluetooth setup, I can't get it to work. You ever had anything uh, working along those lines? Have a good New Year. Bye.
0: Thanks, Laurie. Okay, uh, I'll take the first part of this here. the 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 important thing to realize is that network speeds, wireless network speeds, are not as advertised. They never are. Theoretically, 802.11g can go 54 megabits a second. Really, what that translates to best case real life scenario is uh, twenty six megabytes a second, right? Twenty seven. I've tested this. This is how this works, right? So it's all lies. It, it, well, it's always half is is what it turns out to be. No, 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 no. no. Effective this is just yeah, real it, world effective real world best case. Remember, it can always be slower if you've got a weaker signal. Uh, best case with eight hundred two dot eleven b is. Five and a half, right? Half of 11. Mm-hmm. Okay. So knowing that, when you add, and, and you, I'll let you explain why this is, but, but based on all the speed tests that I, that I did, especially when 802.11g was starting to be introduced into Apple products, if you're running 802.11g and that's all you have on your network, you'll get, again, given best case, best signal strength, you'll get your full twenty-seven. As soon as you add a B client to the mix and it, and it starts talking, the G client's fastest speed hits about 15. It maxes out there, so you lose uh, a, a significant chunk.
1: And John, you're going to explain why. I am. I, I am. Think so. You are. <laughs> and the reason why is not so much that it all everybody gets dumbed down, but what they have to do is wrap one packet in type in, inside of another. Okay. So what they're doing is they're putting the... Uh, because they're creating a frame that looks like a B frame, that involves some work uh, okay. to talk to the B station. So overall, if you're doing that work to create this compatible packet, that is what's slowing... It's not all of a sudden saying, oh, I'm half as fast. It, it's still as fast in theory. And as you pointed out, the speeds are pretty much wise um, I mean, uh, theoretical maximum. Right. <laughs> Not lies. That's nasty. Yeah. Uh, so what's happening is that because it has to do the extra work to talk both languages, that's that's what's really killing you. That's right. Okay, that makes sense. As so it's not, a, but
0: it's not slowing it. It's important to note that you know we're going from a theoretical maximum of twenty seven, sorry, a real world maximum of twenty seven down to a real world maximum of about fourteen and a half. Whereas the B is still maxed out at five and a half real world. So it, you know it, you're not slowing all the way down there, but you are slowing down significantly it's important to note.
1: And it was, you know, it's on the same frequency and that's a benefit, you know, cost-wise, I think especially because you right. don't have to come up with a new RF section or a wildly new RF section to uh to do that. And then the second question now refresh me on the uh All right, he's having he's having trouble
0: getting his uh his Sony Ericsson phone to talk to essentially to act as a modem via a Bluetooth connection. And really uh, okay. I I think the trick there is to find a, a to make sure your provider allows your phone to support that and assuming that answer is yes you've got to get the right gsm uh scripts modem scripts for your mac yes and then and and then also figure out exactly what numbers to dial and all that stuff and every network is different in every area so i I can't even begin i don't know the answer for Lori's specific problem Uh, you know i barely know the answer for mine um. In fact, I had to take screenshots yeah. of mine once I got it set up. <laughs> well, really, because it, I mean, how often do you look at that stuff? Yeah.
1: yeah. No, and I hit upon it once too with uh with the uh, Motorola V710 and Verizon. Mm-hmm. And oh, Verizon. actually, as of late, it uh yeah, well, they they all suck. I mean, <laughs> this is true. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I believe with them is was it was a uh, pound seven seven, and then particular log-, log in related to your wireless number and the password, and it would do like kind of a high-speed DSL-like connection. Yep. Um, but they didn't really advertise this fact anywhere, certainly not on their page. You had to go elsewhere. Right. So I think a similar situation, you may have to go through covert channels to find out exactly how to do this with uh, your provider. And as you, you pointed out, Dave, the script is important. Actually, in my case, even though it was a Motorola phone, the, the script that seemed to work with uh, OS 10 was a uh, Sprint... Uh, Pcs phone script for some bizarre reason, but one file I read said use this script. Don't worry, it'll work, and it worked. So yeah, who knows? Um, but yeah, that's one one area of networking that could use some help. I mean, Bluetooth is great, but the scripting and and the you know the magic hand wave you have to do for each provider kind of stinks. Yeah, it sure does. All right. Well, you all know to come
0: here and get your answers for the uh, for your Mac questions, but if you have uh relative that's not quite as technically inclined, or you want to get some of this stuff and, and archive it, uh, TeachMac, of course, is one of our sponsors, and TeachMac, uh, available at teachmac.com, is an application in which you can download modules that will teach you things. And these modules can be audio, video, text, and a combination of all three. The uh, The video can actually go to full HD resolution. Everything's native in there. Uh nice. You get the opportunity to see a list of all the topics. The application you can download the application for free, browse all the modules, and then when you want to download something, uh, if the module is free, well, down it comes. If not, you pay for it, and the, and they're cheap. You know, they're they're usually in that five to fifteen dollar range. Very very much uh, sorry, uh, yeah, any yeah five to, yeah anywhere from free to fifteen bucks. That's right, yeah. Uh, very very, it's a great environment. To use to a teach people things and also uh learn things for yourself, of course you can create your own modules you can create i don 't know what just happened there with the mic. you can create your own modules, and if you do, you can tag them as uh mac geek gab and 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 support everything we've got going on here so that's all available at teachmac dot com devin called 666 geek, and we are going to hear what devin had to ask.
4: Hi, John and Dave. This is Devin Namaki. I'm calling from Cincinnati. I am running OS 10.4.8. Uh, I recently did get a an external hard drive as a gift and wanted to start backing up my Mac. So, I downloaded .Mac's backup software and started backing up. And I noticed that the incremental backups ended up adding up to more and more space. And I would periodically have to do a full backup and delete the previous increments. So I wanted a better way to get more of a mirror, and I wanted to do this uh, freely, so, or, you know, without cost. So I downloaded a program called P-Sync X, and I created several mirror folders on this backup drive to mirror certain folders on my Mac. Now, when I did this, the first thing I noticed was that... um, One of the folders, for instance, my applications folder, which I happen to mirror on the backup drive, um, on my Mac takes five gigs, and on the backup drive takes nine and a half gigs. And when I look at the number of bytes under the get info, um, it's five thousand million bytes on my Mac. And it gives me the same number of bytes on the backup drive. However, it lists it as nine and a half gigs. So I wanted to know if you knew what was up with that.
0: You know what let's uh let, let's stop right there and and talk about a little bit of this yeah. because I think we're going to get into some more stuff potentially with devin as we go on, but I don't want to lose what we're talking about here mm-hmm. so uh we we'll, we'll start from from the beginning of where we were dot mac backup yeah, it sucks it it doesn't do what you would expect it to do um the incremental backups never refresh, and in order to refresh them, you've got to go and delete everything it it yeah it it's not at all intuitive, and uh yes, it will back things up, but it it it's not going to
1: work the way you want so no, it yeah, should be We filed the changes since the last time you did something
0: it is, but you can but you can you can't tell it, look, do an incremental backup for a week and then reset the backup and and go back to the beginning. It'll just keep adding to this
1: incremental is it thing incremental against the original.
0: No, it's incremental against all the ch- all the change sets, but it never, you can't tell it to reset, right? You can't tell it to go back and do a full backup again. Hmm. You, get, you get what I'm saying? So you, you'll just get these, well, it just constantly builds on itself and it'll finally okay, get to the well point that, where it's that's useless. I think
1: what I was saying is that the, when you do the incremental, it doesn't reset the whatever you, it doesn't know that the next incremental is, no no no! Is... it does
0: it does what i'm saying is you can't oh, you can't refresh okay you you can't okay. you're only once you start you can only do incrementals you can't do a full backup and then incrementals from that again okay okay so it's a pain right so sync is fine sync x is, is fine for what he wants to do i, I like retrospect but yes it is backwards uh, there's macback as well there there's all kinds of stuff available out there but Sync is fine all of them when doing a mirror like like he describes are going to yield the same problem and and that's where it, it, that's where files may appear to be a different size you you want to talk about that or should i keep
1: going um files are a different size i think we were touching on that before when we were talking about partitioning block sizes um, that's right i think is that yeah is that a blo- you know so a drive has one unit of info i don't know we'll call it a a sector or whatever but at some level the the drive has a unit that's the smallest that it really knows how to talk to now the problem is it may be larger than the smallest size you can imagine which is you know like a byte so it's going to make a block that's 1k 2k 4k uh, so on and so forth and if the block size this minimum block size is much larger uh, which, in this case, it sounds like yep. then a file it, you'll physically be taking up that much space on the drive, so you'll take up however let's say a block is one k. you may take up eight k eight blocks of one k each, but maybe the file is less than that, but right. you'll still take it up because the the, the block size is um
0: yeah, so a certain so, size to... so let's say a smaller drive has has a block size of like like John said, let's say it has eight k blocks. A 4K file is going to take up that full 8K block. If a larger drive may have a block size of 32K or 64K, that 4K file will take up 32K or 64K. However, I thought HFS Plus really gave us a lot more room to work with here, so it's possible... That this external drive that he's using is not HFS Plus formatted. Oh, may want to reformat it. Yeah, that that would be my guess, or or perhaps it's it's FAT, maybe FAT thirty two. Even though that th- that got better with this too. I, it, this is not a problem I've seen creep up in a long time. So I'm thinking that the the format method of the drive, or the the format of the drive, yeah, may may be at issue here. So.
1: Yeah, because the newer newer formats, I think, is suggesting usually take this into account and make the the size pretty small. Yeah, You're yeah. Not too, uh, wasting all this space. You're not wasting all that space, but it, that
0: that sounds exactly like what's happening. So, all right, let's uh, let's move on and see see if we can't nail
4: the next thing here. And my second question is: I did still have to use um, backup to back up my documents and settings because, first of all, I don't know where those files are on the drive. And if I wanted to restore them, I wouldn't know how to do that. So I stuck with backup because it knows how to do all those things. Um, so I'm using a combination of P-Sync X and the backup software. But the problem with this is uh, I opened up console because I noticed that uh, my scheduler in P-Sync X wasn't mirroring it when I asked it to as far as the schedule goes. And looking under console, when it tries to uh, run the scheduled backup, which it does try to do, gives me an error that says a sync server is already running on this computer exiting process, which I'm assuming must be the backup software for my documents and settings. And I wanted to know if there's a way to get around this or if you could use more than one scheduling uh, type software for your backups on a single Mac. Um, that is my second question. My email is-
0: All right. that Alright. It's odd that P-Sync X would try and use the same service that uh dot mac backup uses but i guess it's possible and if that's the case then i would not schedule it internally to psync x and go with uh that that launch d thing that you found john which is
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot here aren't i yes you are all right well oh, uh, john john's john's gonna look that up quickly uh there, there is
1: the launch d uh Service Lingon. L I N G O N is a utility that lets you uh mess with your Launch D jobs, both the built-in ones, and you can make others. I guess it's the uh Launch D is the thing that takes over all the other launch services. They yep. try to lump them all together in this new improved, I think, utility. Yeah, so, so it's a replacement for
0: cron essentially uh
1: in the old Unix days.
0: But in a nutshell, it allows you to schedule events that happen whenever you like them to and presumably we could get p-sync x to uh to do that so that, that would be my thought on that or just go yeah. ahead and get something like retrospect and you know i mean it it all comes down to how much time you're willing to put in versus how much money you're willing to spend uh and retrospect's gonna require some time just to grok the interface but it's well worth it in my
1: mind so you know, I just came up with, I, I was looking at my console. I have a sync server is already running on this computer. I see that all the time, yeah. That seems to be a common
0: yeah. uh, error. That of, that may not be the issue, you know, because uh, I, I see that on mine, and I'm not running PSyncX either. It, it's possible that you've got another PSyncX problem and another scheduling issue. It could be the same thing, I don't yeah. know. But, uh, but either way, Lingon may just solve it just by brute forcing your way through it, so... All right. Uh, right on to Doris
5: hi John and Dave this is Doris calling from Toronto Canada Happy New Year thanks I'm calling you because I have a major problem I've only found one answer online and probably had some help from my brother but it just doesn't seem to work and I am very nervous but suddenly my iMac G5 iMac um, is suddenly the on the finder it's rebooting itself. It's flickering, the The menu bar is flickering, and, um, and then it shuts down. So it's shut down three separate times now. Once was um, two times in a row, well, two times in a row, within 20 minutes of each other. So my brother, who is equally a Mac geek, um, suggested that I go to Disk Utility uh, in OS and... Um, do a repair permissions which I had done um, not thinking that I had been loading several new programs um, from the Mac app a day and uh, seemed to solve the problem but then three days later it just shut down by itself again the one thing I found online was that um, it said to delete my preferences in my library there was two of them that it Told me to delete which um, just misplaced the paper so I don't know where it is. Um, I'm always nervous about deleting something as major as a preference in your library so I backed everything up. I'm still hesitant to do it. I'd like to hear from you guys to know what the best route is on solving my problem. that and avoiding going to uh, some actual technician and paying them $120 an hour. Um, I do have a second question. My second oh, question oh. is...
0: All right. Let's... Uh,
1: yeah, good call. Dude, that is so cool. What's that? I wish my machine would do that. <laughs> yeah, that's not, not so good. Just kind of random, randomly flicker the screen and reboot? I mean, that sounds pretty exciting. I mean... Uh- yeah.
0: Okay. So it, I, I'm not Some, sure. Uh, b- well, b- because it it she said it's either rebooting or it's shutting down, and it and sh- and she said both uh, the flicker
1: the flicker part yeah, bothers so me. And spontaneous yeah. rebooting to me at the very least. That's it screams uh, hardware. Suggests to me a hardware problem. Yeah, it, it does. If you're it, having the machine getting cranky and rebooting, a power supply maybe.
0: Yeah, the the only thing in software that I think it could be is the power management unit. So it's possible that simply resetting the PMU will do it, and we can put a link in the
1: show notes to how to do right. that on an iMac G5. There's the PMU, there's also the uh, NV, uh, a yep. few different locations yep. of memory. But, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what's causing it. The, the system management unit, I guess, is what
0: it's called. And on, on that particular machine, you... Restart, force shutdown. Yeah, there's a whole big thing.
1: We'll put the a link in the I show would notes. Suggest, um, and the Apple people do this a lot of times when you call Apple Care, which is a pretty good value, I think. I I agree. For portables, maybe not desktops. Yeah, yeah. But uh, create a new user and see if this happens.
0: Uh ah, very good.
1: Go to System Preferences, Accounts. I think uh, I think that's where you go. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Create a new user, see if it happens, and uh, the, that's worked for me in the past. If yep. it doesn't happen with the new user. Something that you, maybe you, if it intentionally or unintentionally, yep, has created a you know terrible combination of of software that just does this. But I've I've seen this issue. I don't know flickering. It sounds like the screen's resyncing. Which yeah, it's weird. Yeah. yeah, flickering just is bad to me. I've seen this issue with
0: the um, with a damaged Finder prefs file. So Home Library hmm. Preferences com dot apple dot Finder p list. Uh, if that file's unwritable or is damaged that that can certainly cause uh, you know strange problems like this mm-hmm. the, the fact that you repaired permissions and and then it worked for a couple of days that kind of leads me to mm. hope maybe that you know it, it it's something like that but still it could have been a cool couple of days and then it heated up again in in, in the environment where the computer is and then you're done so uh, yeah it my guess is that it's hardware but it's possible it's one of the one of the things we mentioned here. So Yep. Shall we uh shall we hear the second half of her question here, John? Indeed. All right. Moving right along. Back to Doris.
5: It's really I don't know if it's a quick one or not, but I was wondering if you guys can either do a topic on your show about um, doing a home network. I
0: You want to do that now, John, or should we do that another show? I I think that's time for another show.
1: Yeah, okay. So home network, all right, you get a piece of paper, get a pen. We'll save it it for another show. That's right, we will. But that's actually a good topic. It's a a big topic, but but it is for for the uninitiated. Usually when you get Apple stuff and you plug it in. It just works. It works. But sometimes you may need a little nudge. Now, you know, just today, uh, speaking of networking, I did have a chance to look at the new uh, Apple 802.11 and base station. It looks like an Apple TV. It's not a spaceship anymore. So that's right. Use spaceship owners for, uh, you know, the prior Apple wireless space stations. You got a collector's item. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, so
0: yeah, send in your questions for the whole home networking on your Mac thing. If we get enough of them, we can put together a, a show and sort of guide it in, in the direction that you folks want us to go. So send them yeah, in where, too Where'd
1: you stumble? Because Oh, where? Well, send or call?
0: Well, they can call 206-666-GEEK. Geek. Right, which is 4335. 4335. Yep. Or email MacGeekGab at com or Skype them in. You know, we only check that every couple of weeks, but uh, Skype them into MacGeekGab. Uh, and that's that. So we have another interesting question somewhat related to this one, but with a different answer, at least from my point of view
6: hey John hey Dave this is John uh, from California LA specifically love the show Uh, here's a uh, an audio question or help help need maybe you can help me with I have a a g5 dually 2.7 gigahertz non Intel g5 tower and uh, all running great Uh, everything's up to date However, recently I've been experiencing some shutdown stalls where the machine goes to the blue screen and hangs. Uh, the little rotating circular thing is still uh, animating and working great. Uh, it just spins and spins and spins and never shuts off. So I have to uh, hold the power key down for you know four seconds and the whole thing shuts down. Uh, I've repaired the disk permissions, I've run Disk Warrior, I've run Mac Janitor, I've done, you know, Zap the PRAM, I've done all the <clears throat> things we good little power users do when things like this occur, yet now I'm stumped. Uh, a friend of mine has an iMac G5 non-Intel, and he's having the same uh, same issues, uh, and we're both up to date on system, and here's what we have in common. We both have Blackberries. And we use Pocket Mac to sync, and that's where it stops right there. That's the only similarity there is, other than our operating systems. I have n- no idea if that has any connection or not, uh, but um, regardless, if you have an answer or a theory, would love
1: to hear it.
0: All right. Well, let's let's chase the Pocket Mac. Issue here.
1: I, I don't... think that software is a piece of junk, and that's the problem. And we can wow, <laughs> right to the point, man. I mean, it's... have you no. used it before? <laughs> no. It oh, okay. Sounds... Oh. so no. anyways, Anyways, uh, certainly a, a common thread, but but let's uh, let's do a maybe a more thorough.
0: Well, no, it's possible that that's it, right? Because if if the Pocket Mac, the Pocket Mac Sync program is going to, or the Pocket Mac environment is going to need to leave something running all the time on the Mac mm-hmm. to see when you plug your back BlackBerry in and tell it to sync. So it's possible that this little app isn't responding to the, the quick command that's being issued to it by the OS,
1: yeah.
0: right? It's possible.
1: Now, how could now, you know, I'm just trying to think, is there a handy little utility that maybe hangs out in the menu bar that one could use to bring up a list of uh, running processes where you could see if one is perhaps not responding?
0: Well, I, I, I mean, you could, Run Activity Monitor from the Utilities
1: folder, right? (laughs) Or my favorite, our favorite, Menu Meters. Menu Meters, right? The same thing. Yeah. But I've seen this in the past. Like, actually, I'm having a little issue, which I'm I'm trying to figure out with Spamfire. Okay. Where all of a sudden something very similar happens is that the system kind of wedges. It seems like nothing's happening, and I go to uh, Menu Meters, uh, ask it to bring up Activity Monitor, and Spamfire is not responding, and it, it actually. I'm not sure when they did this, but it's nice. But in Activity Monitor, it shows it in red. That's it's right. It's an application that's yeah. kinda cranky because it's who know. So so I think the recommend one recommendation is look at your you know, process list and activity monitor and see if anything is coming up as obviously not responding. If it if it's the utility that you're using, um or something else, then there you go. That that's the yep. problem. Now how to solve that, that's well, that what, gets to another level of problem solving. What
0: I would do, I mean, it, it, with troubleshooting, I have found you got to trust your gut sometimes, right? So, pull up Activity Monitor, sort by name, find everything and anything that has to do with Pocket Mac, since you think perhaps that's it, and quit them all, force quit them all, make sure they are gone. Once they're gone, try shutting down your Mac. So, you know, rule that either decide that that's it, and you'll know right away. Or rule it out, right? Because if it doesn't shut down, then you know, okay, it's not Pocket Mac. At that point, uh, other things that could cause your Mac not to shut down, I would run something like Onyx or uh, Cocktail at macOS10cocktail.com and clean all the caches, clean, you know, scrub everything out. It's possible you've got something lingering there. Yes, that stuff is supposed to be deleted on shutdown, but in fact, if you've got, again, a damaged file, or something out there that can't be the OS may, you know, uh, stop in its tracks, essentially. Um, you could also try watching with a terminal session, but, of course, you, you're past that point, so it's probably ar- already going to have closed-out terminal by the time it uh, it tries to do that. Yeah, or another thing is
1: patience, grasshopper.
0: Yeah, there is that. That's right. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it can take a long time.
1: it may be, but I've had shutdowns where everything seemed to be just great. It was just... Mm-hmm. Either, you know, cleaning a cat, doing what it should be. So don't always, you know, jump to the conclusion the machine is, is not functioning properly. Yep. It may just be doing its thing. So, you know, give it a minute. And I've, I've had this happen. I think you may have too. Sure. Where sometimes shutdown doesn't, you know, snap to it because something's going on. I'm not going to second guess it because I may make matters
0: worse. Yes, that's right. And you almost... Yeah, that's that's almost a certainty that if you if you if you mess with that stuff while it's in process, you will almost always make
1: things worse. So, uh, but hey, if you do big, that, then the good news is you can call in to us and, and <laughs> yeah, let us know. So.
0: All
1: right, if you can, if you can, that's right.
0: So Chad p- presents an interesting thing, then, and, and he suggests that it might be a geek challenge. We're, we're going to augment it a little bit at the end uh, and see if we can't. See if we can't solve a problem that we've been asking for a long, long time. Take it, Chad.
7: I've got a potential geek challenge for you. My apologies Uh if this has already been covered, but I've been listening to the podcast for a few weeks now. Uh, I've got a network-attached storage device, the HP Media Vault, where I store all of my MP3 files. Uh, I've got four computers in the house, uh, all running iTunes that look to that network-attached storage and play music from it. Uh, Now, one of them is kind of uh, my management Mac that I use to rip all my new CDs and put on that uh, NAS device. Uh, And its iTunes folder looks to the uh, network-attached storage folder where all my music is. The problem I've got is every time I add CDs via that computer to the network-attached storage, I have to remember what CDs I've added so that when I fire up any other Mac in the house, I have to go in there, manually find them, drag them into iTunes, and add them into either a playlist or the general library. What I would like is a way for any of the other Macs to have either a smart playlist, which I haven't figured out how to make work yet, uh, or some sort of automator script maybe that keeps looking to that NAS drive and anytime it sees something new that's not already in a current playlist or a current library, it adds it. So that I don't have to bring, oh, I just downloaded this song, or oh, I just ripped that CD and add that to two or three other Macs in the house. Is there any way I can do that uh, with my current setup using an external hard drive? Thanks.
0: Yeah, man. So that's the question right there, right? Because that begins to solve the, I want my iTunes library in one place, but accessible from multiple computers and not stuck managing it through the shared iTunes interface. Mm. I think, I think, I think you've stumbled onto the, uh, perhaps the, the, the path here. So that, that, that's the challenge we throw out to to all of you. Is, Is there something that we can do with an automator script or maybe even something a little lower level that, that watches that folder and anytime something new is added, tells iTunes to go and add that new stuff and perhaps even put it in a new playlist, right? So that, or, you know, a a playlist that you would know to watch that you can then go and categorize it on that machine uh, as you, as you see fit, you know, something like what, uh, what acquisition does, right? When you download something, it Mm. it feeds it in and puts it in a playlist. We just need to grab that part of it. I think this would be huge. I know it would be for me.
1: Yeah. Sounds like with the right automator actions, it may be possible. That's right. So I that's haven't right. really delved into it that deeply to know if there's a update. You know everything.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, um, you want to update everything, action, but but not, uh, but not duplicate what you've got in there, right? I mean, action, that yeah. that would be the trick. And I know iTunes can do some of that folder scanning, but it's a little weird, uh, at least in my experience. Tell me if you found something different. So that's uh, that. That's that's all I got. The
1: geek. Challenge, challenge, <laughs> challenge. Since I don't have echo, I have to make my own.
0: <laughs> try try it again, John. We'll we'll see what we can do for you. Okay, the geek. Challenge. Alright, there you go. Perfect. Better, thank you. You got it. That's what I'm here for. Alright. All right. I think we're uh we're on our way out. Oh, the band.
1: oh my and gosh, it's... you left him outside this whole time? <laughs> It's oh, cold going. out there.
0: It's like 12 degrees outside. <laughs>
1: did you give them anything to eat?
0: I get to go back to the house, John, and snuggle up and watch yeah. my new Series Three TiVo.
1: Oh, you got it. I oh, did. You're part of the. You're part of the cult. Good. You know good, what, man?
0: Good. And I was taking that 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 terrible, sadistic Motorola box, uh, Comcast thing, thrust upon you by the cable company. Thrust upon me by the heathens at the cable company. <laughs> And I was looking at it, and it's like, you know, and and, Lee, and I said to Lisa, I said, this box is now dead to us, you know, and, not uh, but then I realized, you know, this poor thing, we've given this box so much grief in looking at it, right, looking at the front and looking at the back, it's the same thing as the TiVo box, it, it looks, other than, you know, some cosmetics, it has all the same buttons and all the same ports on the back as the TiVo box, so why oh why why does it suck it's the software right i mean it, it clearly it's the software that sucks and i know that now that i've done this comcast within about three or four months will come out with the tivo software on their boxes that they've been threatening to do for the last 18 months and i just can't wait anymore yeah, but
1: hey yeah. be happy in the fact that it's yours
0: yeah, you know, one thing I noticed on this this Comcast box, it was so obsessed with us watching live TV that it was its total focus. When a show finished recording, if you were watching something, yeah. even if you were watching something else, it would pop a note up on the screen and say, "The show has finished recording." It's Like who who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't. That's not relevant to me. And then even worse, if you it had dual tuners, but if you were watching the show. That was being recorded and changed the channel. It would say, "Well, if you change the channel, uh, it's going to cancel the recording." Uh-huh. Whereas with the TiVo box, it was smart. I watched it. I, I changed to the tuner that was that was recording a show, and I changed the channel. There was no fanfare. There was no notification. There was nothing. It just switched channels. Now behind the scenes, it switched tuners so that it wouldn't lose what it was recording because I didn't tell it All to right. stop recording. It just. You don't- care i don't what? care that's right that's the just difference do, do what i ask yeah just do what i ask but behind the scenes also do what i want read right. my mind and it does it so i'm happy to have it
1: okay yeah uh, who's his, my, who's hosting rant. this
0: who's cashfly this? is hosting this podcast and uh, the podcast marketplace, of course, is the 6 uh, isolator earphones from Edomotic, the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, TeachMac from TeachMac.com, and Yojimbo from Barebone Software. Ooh.
6: Yeah.
0: Back, the Backbeat Media Podcast Network is the place to uh, reach us to sponsor this show that we are pretty close to sold out, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, go ahead and fill out those iTunes comments. Do all that great stuff for us. Podcast Alley. Vote on Podcast Super Alley. They're fun, too. That's right. 206 666 4335. Spells? Geek! That's right. Oh my gosh. Oh, we're out of here. Are we? I think so. We have more Gmail invites than we uh, can shake a stick at, yeah. so feel free yeah. to send them our way. But send us audio we, we comments a, too. We love the we got audio. A big comment.
1: stick. Yeah. But we tried to
0: shake it too much. No, I tried to shake the stick at a broadside of a barn once. It didn't work. And you know what happens? You, you don't want to shake your stick too much because if you shake your stick. Oh, like, don't well, shake your stick. Don't. <laughs> it d- certainly don't shake it at the broadside of a barn. And uh, don't get caught.
6: Made up back
0: It's good to have all this stuff back. It's nice to be mm. back here.